What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. How do you build high-performance teams? How in the world do you get in a structure of an organization and build what you know can last? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us well, to build a high-performance team, you know you got to be a high-performance leader. And today, we sit down with a high-performance leader, Jenny Catron. Jenny has served in some amazing churches. Her company now, the Foresight Group, works with businesses and churches all over America. Her book, on the four dimensions of extraordinary leadership is one of the best books I've taken any group ever through. It is a must get. But today we get under the hood a little bit of leadership, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. You know, our passion here on this podcast is spiritual leadership, and Jenny does such a great job blending leadership with that spiritual component and I think you're really going to enjoy our time together as we talk about these high-performance teams, because I don't think any of us want to fail. We want to go out swinging, and we want to get the job done. So today is a good one. No matter what kind of organization you lead, no kind of what kind of business you're a part of, I think today is going to hit it just for you. So I don't know where you're listening from right now, but I want you to pull up a chair. And I want you to listen in to my conversation with Jenny Catron. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for joining me again on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It's an honor to have you. It is fantastic to catch up again, Mike. Thanks for the invite. You've been on my must get again list. I look back, it was 2019. Lord, when we talked in 2019, we, we had, had no, no idea. idea, did we? Oh my <laughs> gosh. What changed about your world? What changed when the bomb of 2020 went off? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. What happened in your world? You know, it was I, it, probably like all of us. It was like, is this really happening? What is happening? What am I supposed to do? And, you know, like I traveled all the time to different teams and leaders all over the country. And so I was on the road almost every week working with a different team or a different leader or speaking at a conference or an event or for a staff function. And I remember coming home and putting my suitcase down and saying, I don't know when I'm going to open that again. Mm. I don't know when I'm going to need that again. Wow. And it was the weirdest thing because, you know, for the last handful of years, this had been my livelihood and my ministry was, you know, going to serve with leaders in, in where they are. And I remember I came up here to my desk the next day and I'm just sitting here kind of like just a little at a loss, right? Because again, none of us really knew what this meant or what this was going to be. And I just began to pray and I, and I was like, God, what am I going to do? And of course the fear of, you know, I'm self-employed. I've got Should a team I? of staff that I'm, you know, like, how am I going to keep everybody, you know, operating if we can't do the work that we do? And 
so I was just praying through that and I felt God say, well, what did I call you to do? So, well, you called me to cultivate leaders and healthy teams. And I felt like he, him just say, they're going to need that more than ever. Mm. Like mm. leaders still need help. Teams will still need help. And it was just the, the how changed. The mission didn't change. That's right. The how changed. And that happened a lot for church leaders too, right? Of like, all of a sudden we couldn't do church the way we had historically done it. And it was like, but people still need the hope of the gospel, you know, arguably more than ever. And the same was true in the work that we do of like leaders needed support more than ever. Teams needed, you know, best practices and know how to operate in a healthy way together when all the pressure and stress of all the unknown is on them. And so we just pivoted and I started doing everything on zoom, like we all did. And, um, and honestly, Mike, it was just, it was such a gift to see how I just began to just gather leaders on calls and say, what are you doing? How are you doing? What do you need? And how God just kind of took care of the rest of it. And I, we, you know, you thought it was going to be a year that the bottom fell out and it didn't, it, you know, it took a little bit of a slump and then it like just, you know, went racing back up and we've been on a growth trajectory ever since just being able to serve more leaders. So it was a wild season, but just, I'm grateful because it, it forced me to like dig deep and go, what's the purpose. Mm. And the purpose didn't change. I just had to adjust how we did it a little bit. That's exactly right. And, and the great ones all pivoted and all, <laughs> it's so interesting to watch the great ones got even better. Yeah. What did you yes. notice about leaders who thrived in the unknown and thrived in the the chaos of the fog that was mm -hmm. created? What was it about their leadership, the really good ones, that even had more clarity and began to stand out to you? That's a fantastic question. I think that the ones that really stood out to me, they... Uh, they didn't give into the fear. They found, uh, the, again, they just found a sense of purpose and, and they recognized that they had a calling to help lead, right? Like they really, you know, cause the, the, the crazy part about, about it, and this was again, true for most businesses and organizations, but particularly churches, it was like, nobody had been here before. That's right. Nobody in, you know, in our modern you know, church world had shut down their campuses for more than two weeks at a time for any reason, you know? And so there were no, there was nobody who had gone before us, you know, nobody who was a few steps ahead, you know, and typically we're always looking at what's the business that's a few steps ahead of us or the church that's a few, you know, yep. you know, stages ahead of us. And we kind of look at them and see what they've done. And then, you know, and we were all on the, in the same playing field. And it was the people that recognized, I have to at least help define the next step for mm, the people mm. that I lead. I don't have to know mm. it all. And in fact, the people who are willing to say, here's what I know for today. I don't know. I don't know what two months from now looks like. I don't know what two years from now looks like. And the honesty to say, I don't have the whole plan, but here's what I know we need to do next. And there's a, there's a strength in that and a confidence that we give to others by just being willing to at least define the next step. But there's also a humility in the, and I don't know it all, because if anybody tried to, to pr pretend they knew what was going to happen, you know, they really didn't, That's exactly um, right. <laughs> you know, so the overconfidence was, could have been felt as disingenuous, you know, but I think the leaders who were just like, Hey, 
here's the next step. Here's what I'm clear about now. And we're good at communicating that. So that would be the other thing I would say, right? A sense of purpose with just even incremental vision. And we're intentional to be very communicative with those they lead. I, I saw stand out. And so that would happen whether, you know, congregations, staff teams, like yep. leaders who were, because then here was your other issue. All of a sudden, I don't even have my team in front of me like I used to have them. So this is where I would see all over the place was that out of sight, out of mind. Mm. And the leaders mm. who were like, okay, how can I communicate to my team? Okay, we just get on Zoom for a five minute huddle um, every morning. Or um, we really just blow up Slack and we use Slack like crazy. Or I'm, t you know, like whatever mechanism they got really good at feeling present to their team. And I think that was a standout for some leaders. That's really good. You know, it's so funny during that time, I put together a call on Fridays and I had lo two local mayors. I had a state legislator. I had the healthcare, big healthcare system in Georgia, a superintendent of schools, a large business owner. And we would get in there on Friday and we would do an update every week of what we're hearing, what we're learning. And we learned nobody knew anything. <laughs> That was what I learned every like, Friday. Nobody knows. I would get off the call and I'm like, I knew as much as they did. This is amazing. And that's right. really dangerous. But it I was so, it. it made everybody go, okay, we're going to make it. But yeah. we've all, we've all got to keep sharing what we're learning as we go. So I want to dive in because I want to talk today about team culture. When a culture is healthy, when a team is operating at its best, mm -hmm. what do they do that average teams don't do? What mm -hmm. is it about them that stands up? They're not smarter. Right, but right. What are, the, what are some of the intangibles they do that others just don't do? Yeah, great question. I think you even, I think you even said it a little bit and how you set it up is that they know who they, they know who they are and how they work together. Like they have clarity. That's one of the things we talk about. It's kind of my definition of culture is clarity of who we are and how we work together to achieve the mission. But they understand what that means. So they've gotten more specific and more granular in, okay, who are we? What is our mission and purpose? And, you know, Mike, one of the things that stood out so much in a lot of the data that came out of those first year or two of the pandemic was how a significance and purpose in people's work became the defining thing of, you know, why do I, why am I even here? The, they wanted to be a part of places with significance and meaning. And so cultures where we understand, here's why we're here. Here's the purpose. Here's the significance. Here's the, here's, here's our why. And I think sometimes for leaders, we assume that's understood and you know, churches and ministries can be really guilty of this. Like we assume that is understood, but that every leader at every level understands how they connect to that purpose is powerful. And we can't assume they get it. Like we have to, I say, you know, just be a dot connector, right? Just connect the dots for people, help them see how what they're doing actually helps us achieve our mission and, and galvanize them around that mission. Um, so that's one thing. The, the who we are, and then how we work together. What are those values and behaviors that are key to, and it, it, this is what you said earlier, what we look like at our best. Yeah. Right? Like what does our team look like at our best? And that's actually a really good like starting point question. If you're like, I'm not even sure how I would define our culture. 
okay, well, what do we look like at our best? What are some of the be- our best moments, the best reflection of us as a team living out our mission? And, and then what's happening there? What are the values we hold? What are the behaviors? What does it look like? And um, so the teams with really great culture, I think, have done a really good job of being able to define those two things. Now, we could go into a zillion other things, but, um, but the, that stands out to me. Um, that they're really clear on that and, and they're intentional around, um, it's kind of baked into the, who we are and how we work together. There's this, this, this understanding that we need each other to, to actually achieve the mission that the, how we work together, how we treat each other, that respect and that trust is really core to our success as a team. So those are a few things I could probably keep, no, keep that, going. That's but. really good. You know, when you talk about your why and, and the clarifying and reconnecting the dots mm-hmm. back to that why, um, how would you define a team's mission? So a team is together. They're working together at a common goal. We've got coaches that listen to this podcast. We've got mm-hmm. lots of business owners. We've got we've got a lot of people in the church world, but really a lot more coaches and business owners. Um what would you say is vision to Jenny? How do you, if you were going in working with a team and they're like, okay, we've got a vision statement. We have it up here. How would you define vision as it, as it uh, associates with that? Why? Yeah. So, uh, and, and there are, there are, uh, this can be parsed out a few different ways. So I'm, I don't kind of hang on the definitions too tightly, but, um, the mission to me is the thing that doesn't change in your organ, like in your organization, like, like for us, that's cultivate healthy leaders to lead thriving teams. It, it is our, who, what's our why and who are we trying to serve? Mm-hmm. So like that, that statement that is, it'll last us 30 years, you know, unless we were to have a mission change, but like our mission is to cultivate healthy leaders and thriving teams. So it is that, it's what we do and who we serve is mission in my mind. Vision is more of where are we going in pursuit of that mission? So um, one of our goals in 2021, when our, our, our 2021 vision was 100,000 leaders served in that year. So we're cultivating healthy leaders to lead thriving teams. We wanted to hit 100,000 leaders by 2021. That was the first five years of our business. Um, that's a vision because it's more time bound and quantifiable. That's how I decipher those two. Now, like some people that. will flip flop that or nuance it. I don't really care. I don't, I don't get hung up on you have to do it exactly that way. Um, but I think you need to know. So you as business leader, coach, whatever, you need to know how do I define those things? And then have I brought enough clarity to them that my team understand them? I think a good mission statement is five to seven, five to 10 words. Yeah. It's like, it is like, that succinct thing that people can say healthy leaders, thriving teams, like my, you know, my team can say that healthy leaders, thriving teams. That's what we do over and over and over and over. Now, how we do that is going to play out in a multitude of different ways. And then the vision statement is what's that big audacious goal that is on the horizon for us, you know, that helps us be thinking, dreaming bigger, thinking bigger, and trying to make sure that, um, we, we know, what we're aiming for, you know, it's kind of gives everybody that North star of yes, healthy leaders and thriving teams, but to what end? To you what know? end? That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So does it matter that people outside your organization understand that vision? Does it matter that your clients who you're serving all over the country, one of those hundred thousand, does it matter that they know that? Or does it matter just that your team knows that? In our case, it matters more to me that our team knows okay. that. Um, I think that might vary by, I'm, I'm trying to just think of a few scenarios. It might be inspiring in some cases, um, but it, my sense, Mike, is that I'd have to really think this through in different scenarios. In some cases, it might just look like an ego metric. Okay. And I wouldn't want it to come across as that, right? Good word. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, for me, I want people to know, like, I want the clients we serve to know our heart. And our heart is for you to be a healthy leader and for you to build a thriving team. So I'm much more concerned, you know, our mission the vision pushes me and my team to make sure we don't get comfortable because mm, we're like, mm. there are millions of leaders that need support. If we just hit a hundred thousand of them, we're scratching the surface. Right. But it without backstory and even more of the heart behind the why that might just be a vanity metric in some yep. people's eyes. And for us, it's more about what pushes us to go, how do we connect with more leaders? What are avenues where we can, you know, serve more leaders better? Um, but it, that could be different in different contexts. There it, might it be, be some contexts. So put back on your church hat. You served in the church world a long time at some really, really great churches. Yeah. How would that even play in the church world? So let's say a church says, we want to reach 100,000 people in the next five years and help them take their next step towards Christ. Mm -hmm. Is that something you tell people publicly or is that something you keep internal with your staff and yeah. your people? How do you handle that? Again, I think that could probably vary by the culture of the church. Um, I will say, you know, in some cases, it's been more about working at, uh, we did a lot, we did multi-site in the churches that I was a part of five more communities in five years. Gotcha. Well, that made the people sitting in our chairs on Sunday morning the the spirit of that was they wanted a church closer to their community and their neighborhood for the neighbors that they want to invite. And that was, that was energizing to them. They could get behind that vision because it wasn't just about, Oh, let's get, you know, thousands of more people in this room, you know, to make us all feel better. It was like, no, you know, what are the, what are the vision elements that might be about getting into your local communities and helping you connect even more people with the hope of the gospel. So I could, there were cases like that where we said, you know, the vision was we want to launch two more campuses in two years or whatever that might be. And the heart and the, and the mission even behind that was so that we could reach more people. And it wasn't just centric to this one space. And we had, we did a lot, particularly when I was in Nashville, we did a lot of outreach in the community, a lot of partnerships with local schools and things like that. And that was kind of tied into that vision of, you know, every community we went into it, meant not just launching a church, it meant expanding those community outreach services that we could do. And so that was a vision that people could get pretty excited about. So I, you've probably got some examples no, of that's that too. Really, huh? well, it's really good. And it's that, it's that fine line of, you don't want the person you're reaching to feel like a number Yes, and, and you don't you don't want that person to go, Oh, so I'm just, you just set this goal. And now I'm, so I'm that one of those hundred 
but if you don't have it, you don't go reach them. So it's yeah. that it's that delicate balance. You know, you know, we we talk always about you know our missions help people find their way home, and we do that by loving God, loving people, and living sin. That's that's our deal. Yep. And we love God with all we got. We love people with all we got, and let's go live sin. Let's just yes. go out and make a difference. But what we fail at a lot of times is establishing that larger piece of okay, this is what that looks like. Yes. And and I in in my detriment as a leader is well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to make somebody feel like a number. Yeah. It's a weird it's a weird dynamic. It's, it's a weird it, dynamic, but but if you don't present something, there's no clarity yes. and then people don't know where to go. Yeah. I mean you just you just were connecting the dots there of like the and I think it's a healthy tension for us to manage as leaders in any context. I think church leaders need to be hyper aware of this, but I think any leader in any setting, the um, making sure that those big goals aren't just ego goals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a tension to manage. I don't, I, I don't know that we ever strike that balance exactly right. I think we have to just be very conscious of it and then have like good people around us helping us really process. Is this, is this about um, helping us stretch for the good of the mission, or is this about me, how I measure up against the competition or, you know, like whatever the, the scenario might be. But I love what you said there too, about the lack of clarity then for the team, because if we just set the state, the mission, so you just stated the mission for North star, um, that's awesome. The first question everybody else asks, whether it be staff or congregation is how, mm. Right. So it, it's a fantastic mission and, and it sounds good and it sounds appropriate, but then, then we do the vision statement starts to take it a, a step further and go, okay, how here's the target. And then we get even more granular with more mm-hmm. strategies and tactics and so forth. Um, and I think that's the thing that is important for leaders to understand because we will hear the mission and get pretty excited about it. I get really excited about healthy leaders and thriving teams. Yep. There's a million things in my mind of what that means to me and how we do it. So when I succinctly say healthy leaders and thriving teams, I know what I mean. And I could go write a game plan in my sleep because I've been living that mission. So, um, it's so, it's so much a part of me because I'm the leader. Right. And the same is probably true for you at the church, right? You know, you know what you mean by that mission. You know what it means to live sent. But somebody who's newer to the church, it's like, I think I get that. I think I understand what that means. But be, but that that's where like vision can start to help paint the picture for it of like, what does that actually look like more quantifiably? And then we can get even more specific from there of, hey, here's some of the activities. And then and then there's a tension in that, right, in church leadership of like, how do we make sure it's not just about what we do? You know, like that's right. That's right. That's right. So I mean it's all complicated, right? That's why leadership is required. But um, but that's I why love- you have a job, Jenny. That's why you do what you do. It's that's for right. losers like me in Atlanta going, ah, see, everybody's getting listening into a counseling session, is basically what oh they're getting gosh. right now. My oh staff's my going, thank you, Lord, for Jenny helping Mike. <laughs> because seriously, and it's it's we were talking about police officers earlier, and this is a great illustration. You know, you're trained they are trained to be great at law enforcement. But Uh when you move up the food chain and you become the chief 
of police. Now you're leading, you're leading those who do that. Well, ministry world's the same way. Business world's the same way. Nobody's trained to be a CEO. They were just good at what they did and they kept climbing up and all of a sudden now they're running a company or they're the head coach of a team. Yes. And, but their skill sets were, they were just a great baseball guy who now manages a lot of people. What would you, what would you say, Jenny, about, I know one of your big things is about creating a common language, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is so good. What would you say are some good initial steps for leaders that go, I want to build this healthy culture. I think my language translates, but I'm not sure if my language translates. What are some tips for them about creating a common language that can go across their team? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, first of all, a, a little bit of inventory of what do um, what do I value? What's important to me? So I anchor a lot of culture work around clarification of values. Now that's not going to sound terribly new to most people because we all have done probably values work at some point. But there's there's a a a, love, a couple layers of this that I think really begin to unlock it because for every leader there are things you intrinsically value that are defining how you do what you do, right? There are convictions you hold that are really critical to you. I was on a call with my team earlier today. And we were revisiting some um, uh, some of how we do some of our one-on-one coaching with, with our clients. And we were just troubleshooting some stuff that needs to be in the proposals and so forth to clarify the relationship and the agreements and, and all of this. And I said, but guys, remember, at the end of the day, we want to serve our clients well. Like, you know, like the the opportunity to be responsive the, the fact that our when people reach out to us for coaching, they are typically in a vulnerable place, right? right? When leaders say, I need help, they are in a vulnerable place. And so I don't ever want a contract to hold us up from serving that leader well. Mm-hmm. And so, so, but that's a deep conviction for me. And in our growth, you know, we're working to try to get the right things defined in our contracts and so forth, because that's just good practice, yeah. right? It's good clarity. But I don't want to lose the heart of serving our clients and recognizing the gift it is to be invited into a vulnerable place. That is like what happens in our relationship. So that's an example of a deep conviction that I hold that I noticed in the in the course of the conversation. I needed to say that out loud to make sure my team understood it. So for leaders to go, what are some of those deep convictions? Some clues are. Let's say a staff person does something that just is a little sideways and you're like, why would they do that? Like, like it doesn't even compute to your life. You're like, why? We, we would never do that here, yeah, you know, yeah. right? And the, the fact is we've probably always like, we've just assumed they've caught it. We've just assumed that they've caught that value, that conviction, that belief that we hold and but we haven't articulated it. This happens a lot in we'll get invited in to work with teams that maybe it was a small team initially and then they grew exponentially. And so when, when they're small, everybody kind of catches those beliefs and convictions that the leader holds because you're in close enough proximity. Well, as soon as you get to a dozen plus of staff, that 
nobody has the level of proximity to be able to predict what Mike, what would Mike do? Right. Yeah. Right. You know, it's That's like right. they, they can't cause they don't have the proximity. So to help build that common language, to help build this value structure, a leader has to really extract what are those core convictions? What are those values or beliefs that I hold? And sometimes you just have to take a, a few weeks and just pay attention to what gets your attention, right? Like pay attention to what like, you're like, wait a minute, why did we do that this way? Or why didn't we do that this way? Or, oh, I'm so glad we did that. You know, it's not all the negative things. It's also the positive things that get you energized. Yep. And then, okay, what is that value? What's at the heart of that? Why do I believe that matters? So there's a belief there. Why does this matter so specifically for us? Okay, and then what does it look like when we do that regularly? What are some of the behaviors that reflect that? And so it takes a bit of work to, I call it the values grid, nothing yep. flashy, but it's just like the, the work to extract those deep values and convictions you hold. Um, now that plays itself out for leaders that have been there a, a long time or they've been the founding leader in organizations that are more legacy you have to go mine that from the culture so um a good example a church that i got to work with over the last couple of years is willow creek community church in in chicagoland and most folks may be aware that they went through a big transition and some scandal and stuff and so they had a tumultuous five years and uh so you can imagine coming into the culture it was pretty rough and, but we had, you know, you had a brand new leader who didn't necessarily let trust and leadership was an issue right. because of the history. Yep. So this new leader couldn't come in and declare, here's my convictions and here's my, now he came in with some vision and direction and Dave is a remarkable leader. He's doing a good job. Um, but if he had just declared, this is who we're going to be, and this is how we're going to do it. He would not have built the trust that he needed to continue to build with the team because there's legacy there in that organization. So for organizations with legacy, mining it in the culture and going, hey, what do we look like at our best? Mm -hmm. What are some of the deep convictions and values that have guided us in, in our best moments? And what did that look like? Because even in a situation like Willow that had a really tumultuous five years, there were some beautiful things that we still brought forward from the history that have shaped the culture and and in a po and could continue to shape the culture in a positive way. So I just make that caveat that sometimes that founder leader is going to be really critical. And then sometimes if you have a legacy organization, you're going to have to mine the history for some of what do we look like at our best? I feel like that's just such a good anchor question. That that is really good. And you know, and I, I, the whole creative and common language is so interesting. And I heard you say, you know, it's really, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about it outside of your team. It's, this is for your, this is the common language for the people in the room. That's right. How much does that need to be communicated? So if you were advising a team, if you're advising a coach or a CEO or a, or a pastor, how much does a team need to meet? How much do they need to meet weekly? Do they need to meet bi-weekly? Do they need to meet every day? Do they need to meet to keep these things out in front? What do you see yeah. the best teams do? What are the rhythms that those best teams have? I would say the best teams have rhythms. So, and, but then you think in the rhythm, meaning there's some predictable pattern to how we connect with each other. Right. So um, I, I, high relational, I like a weekly meeting with my team. So we might do weekly shorter, 
right? Um, a lot of, especially larger teams than that, all staff meeting might be more monthly and then it might be a smidge longer because um, there's more to cover. Yeah. Um, I've seen both of those work. I think it's more about knowing what that rhythm is and being really consistent. The biggest thing I say about culture is um, patient and persistent and consistent. Mm, that's good. Right? Like culture doesn't like magically change over time. In fact, a lot of the research tells us that it's three to five years to make a significant culture change. Like if you have a culture that has, you know, is toxic or has had some difficulties or challenges or a lot of upheaval or turnover with staff, and, and there's a pretty good pivot that needs to happen, mm. that could be a three to five year lift. Wow. Um, now, sometimes it, you know, if it's more incremental or it's just, hey, we just need to get this thing a little bit more on on the rails that it might not be as, as, um, as critical, but the, that, that consistency of the keeping the right things in front of the team members is so critical. So, um, so whether it be weekly, biweekly or monthly, I think just having a rhythm and, and being consistent with that rhythm is what's key. You mentioned Slack earlier. Mm -hmm. Is that one of your, what are your favorite tools? So when the team is not meeting and the team is, you know, you get together once a week, you got a team of 20 to 40 to 60 to 10 or whatever the team number is. um, And everybody's moving and doing their things. What are the best things you've seen to keep people all engaged together? Are there some other apps that you have seen teams use that have been effective or you've used? Yeah, I, we do, we use Slack, um, here at Foresight and we really enjoy that. Um, we have a channel for just more of like the check-ins and fun stuff and prayer requests for each other. So that really helps just foster the relational side of things. So we just created different channels for different Mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, today we were on a a call and one of our, one of the guys on our team, he has a nine month old baby girl. And I was like, there are not enough sl- pictures in Slack around that baby. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to fix that. Um, we'll just you know, send your Facebook link. We'll just go visit your Facebook link. Yeah. I, right, I got right. you. Um, so, uh, so Slack is good. Um, there's a newer platform called leader that is a people management software that we are big fans of. And um, leaders really designed for like um uh, more meeting structures and like one-on-one and you can keep agendas and you can keep notes and you can keep, um, uh, profiles of each of your team members. So it's a good like tool for, um, like inner, it's not really a project management software, but it's, it's a people management software. Mm, Um, but it's really helpful for keeping all the information in one place and from meetings and interaction. And like, you can keep a profile of every staff member. So, you know, they're, you know, their Enneagram or their Myers-Briggs and, you know, you can put in all the information about their family and their favorite soft drink or their, you know, like you can put all kinds of information that just helps you get to know your team members better. Um, so that's a really great one. Um, I'm trying to think of what else um, we've gotten in the habit of using like Loom videos more often. So if there's an app called Loom, L-O-O-M, and you can just make short little videos and then email them or text them oh. to each other. And so, you know, for some reason you feel like you need to communicate something and you need yep. the eyeball to eyeball or at least the eyeballs, not eyeball to eyeball. Cause it's not live. But if I'm like, ah, I just want to hop on a quick video and give Mike this update. Cause I feel like I can say it better and I can communicate my tone and energy better. Um, that's another great resource too. That's really and good. Especially that's in a, in a, 
culture now where we are um, more distributed and we're not all in the office, we have to fight hard to find the tools that that connect us. I I I, I was talking a lot about this in early days of COVID. That I was like, leaders, you have to like make the Zoom room feel like the conference room. Like, don't like be a bunch of weird, stoic, awkward people on the Zoom camera when everybody like if you were in the conference room together. You'd be like, hey, how was the, you know, how was your kids ball game this weekend? Hey, did y'all see that? You know, da da da. And, you know, like you're just chit chatting as everybody gets there. Do the same thing in the Zoom room. That's like, good. and leaders have to, and this is, this can be stretching because sometimes leaders aren't the most um, gregarious. I mean, sometimes they are gregarious, but sometimes they're not. Yeah. And so if that's not you, like if you're just not the chit chatty type, then, then, tap somebody else and say, Hey, will you just kind of do the chit chat and stuff while we're getting on the, on the call today? Um, because you're setting the tone and you're creating the climate. And if it's like weird and awkward and everybody's like, just, you know, (laughs) robots on the screen, that's not any fun. So trying to figure out, like, if you were, if you were in the office, you'd be walking through and you'd be like, Hey, Susie, I really appreciated how you reached out to so-and-so this week, you know, and followed up with blah, blah, blah. If you're passing her in the hallway, you would have said that. So if you think about her, that's you passing her in the hallway, slack it or text it, whatever your mechanism is, right? Like whatever you would have probably spontaneously said if you passed her in the, in the hallway. So it's like, you have to learn new behaviors and then it takes more intentionality to overcome the lack of proximity to each other. Um, but that's really key. I think, especially, I think cultures are still getting a little bit rebuilt on the heels of COVID and we're, we're starting to figure out where our culture is after Mm. all of this. And the teams that have had less proximity to one another are the teams I'm seeing struggling the most, just, you know, blanket statement, but by and large, there's a correlation there. And so you have to fight for the right proximity and then you have to figure out, okay, and how do I create new channels that create that replace that proximity? Mm-hmm. What have you found, Mike? How has that worked you for know, you? All? It's so interesting. Zoom's such an interesting thing. the The blessing of 2020 was I had started podcasting in 2017 on Zoom, so I was incredibly used to it. Mm-hmm. I host a Monday Bible study. We have 70 to 90 pro baseball scouts and college baseball coaches that all get on Zoom. And, and it's that weird thing. I mean, we've got guys I have never met in my life. They don't know me. They know a scout who invited them or coach who invited them. But that whole walking around thing is a big deal when they all start popping on on Mondays. And if they all just pop on and and I'm a dead screen and I'm just sitting there waiting on them, it's weird. But it's if guys weird. are banging on each other, giving each other a hard time, sending stuff in the chat. It makes it, it makes it feel like, Oh, this is the kind of smack they would talk if they were in a room with each other. That's right. So it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic that we're all still trying to figure out. And, you know, team culture is always changing. Mm -hmm. It always changing. 2020 presented a new dynamic. 2022 was one thing. What's 2023 going to be like? We don't, we don't know yet. We don't know what's to come. What would you tell a team, Jenny, that's going through a leadership transition in an executive level about keeping consistency? Mm -hmm. What is something they need to know as they're going? Because consistency is huge. 
Yes. Yeah. What is something that team needs to know if there's some changes in some very recognizable positions within that team for the new person coming in? What what advice would you give them? Yeah. That uh, well, first of all, just the awareness of, like you said earlier, culture is always changing. I say it's building or eroding every day. That's true of the the whole team. It's true of like even a sub team. So like talking about an executive team, there is a way that that an executive team behaves and operates that especially the longer that team has been together, the more just comfortable and common those behaviors have gotten. And so um, I think the the existing team, so if there's a new person coming in, there's somebody exiting saying, okay, what are we, what is shifting with these transitions? Mm. Like, you know, just so, so taking a little bit of time to just identify, Hey, what, what are we going to gain and lose in this transition? What's going to change? Um, what's going to change? What must not change? What about how our team operates is really critical to our success. What do we want to hold on to? What's important to us? Um, so I think being able to even define that, like, you know, what is going to change? Something's going to change. So what is going to change? What are we going to lose? So if there's a, if, if a person who's transitioning off the team is the peacemaker Mm -hmm. of the team, right? Cause you know, depending on the size of the team, everybody's kind of found their role and function in the team. So is the person who's transitioning off more of like the peacemaker, um, is the synergist who kind of pulls everybody together is that, you know, what role did they, what are some of the key roles that they played? And then also, you know, if somebody new is transitioning in, what are they bringing? What have, you know, and you know, if that person is known to the organization, then you'll have a little more Intel. It might be you're, you're speculating, but just trying to anticipate. And then, um, and is, is that going to create any gaps, you know, like with Mm. that, and, and do we have any bad habits that we actually want to adjust with somebody new coming in? And what are some of those um, uh, commitments we're going to make to each other to say, you know what, this has been a really bad habit of ours. We typically do this and it doesn't serve us well, but we've kind of worked around it. But, you know, when there's a transition moment, there's also, it's also a chance to, you know, to, uh, to shift some of that behavior to at least acknowledge it. Right. Um, so yeah, I think just a good inventory of, you know, what are we at? Who are, what do we look like at our best and what do we want to keep? What are we losing? What are we gaining? And, uh, just the perspective, you know, that's the, that's the power is it's just a few questions that give us perspective and help us understand what's true. And then, so what's true, what's our actual, dynamic culture, et cetera. Or what do we aspire to? What do we want to be? And how, you know, how big is the Delta in between those two things? Um, but I think that inventory is huge. Then I would also say with it, with a team like that, if there's somebody new coming in, get, have them come in, get situated, do some of that work, but 30 days in, okay, what do you see? What feedback would you give us? What, what, you know, um, this is a strat op tool. What's right, wrong, confused, and missing from That's your perspective good. as you've, you've jumped into the team. Um, so again, just some, some, a couple of simple questions, but with some intentional time and the, 
safety to be able to actually have the discussion? You know, so do you have a climate where you can actually have a healthy and honest discussion about those things? Yep. Um, if you don't, then we got another problem. <laughs> That's exactly right. We were talking. We were talking about it the other day. I was doing a, a lunch with a leader here in our community, and um, the the event's called Lunch with a Leader. And the guy talked about there's a new term out: psycho psychological security. Yeah. People feel safe to yeah. express how they feel. What would you tell? A final question for today. What would you tell a leader about how they lead? And how at the end of the day, how they lead and how it honors the Lord when they do it right. You know, we're all talking about spiritual leadership mm -hmm. and yeah. trying to lead with our faith out in front. But when a leader works at this, I mean, they take this serious and they're like, I know I'm not perfect and yeah. I'm going to screw up and I'm going to mess up, but I want to do it right. What would you say about why, why does that honor the Lord mm. in how they're trying to act out their role as a leader? Yeah. Uh, I think that it, I mean, I think it's what we're called to, right. Of like, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I'm butchering that scripture. Right. But like, um, like whatever God's given us to do, like being good, it's, it's a stewardship thing of like, I've been entrusted with this. This is what, this is what I've been given to do today. And did I do my best with it? Right. Did I, you know, and my, and I love the Philippians one, six, he's perfecting us until the day of Christ Jesus. So there's a, the perfecting word, word there is not, you will be perfect. It's that it, we're being perfected until the day of Christ Jesus, which says it is an ongoing work. It is a refining work that he's continuing to do in us. And so did I grow? Did I learn? Did I attempt to show up as my best? And then I'm going to, I'm going to mess that up some days. And did I own it when I did? Right. Mm. Like, um, and so I think just the, the recognition that I, I, one of my deep convictions is that leadership is sacred work. Um, leadership means in, you know, is really boils down to influence and influence is the power to change or affect someone. And when you think about that, the power to change or affect someone like there's a weightiness to that. Like leadership isn't, it isn't about you. It isn't for you. It's not for your success or your accolades or your achievement or rung on the ladder. That's not the point of leadership. Leadership is about helping guide, lead and serve others. And so when we have that position, we have the power to change or affect the lives of others. And so there's a sacredness to the fact that how I lead today is influencing somebody else's journey, is influencing somebody else's story, is influencing their ability to grow and their giftedness and their calling and their purpose. And I have to I have to hold that weight of responsibility of leadership um, tenderly, right? Like it's like it's I'm I'm for those listening, I'm like I'm holding my hands up saying mm -hmm. there's this mm -hmm. gift of leadership that's been placed in our hands. And it's not our job to like death grip it and try to control it and squeeze the life out of it by managing and manipulating. And, you know, it's our job to hold it gently and say, and ask God for his guidance and wisdom in how we do the work that we're called to do as a leader. But that sacredness of influencing others, I think has got to be what propels us every day. We're not going to get it perfect, but I think if we keep the, that, um, understanding in mind. If we, if that's our philosophy around leadership is built on the sacredness of that opportunity. Um, I hope it helps us get it right more than get it wrong.
I love talking to people who get it. I took so many notes from our conversation with Jenny, and it was just one as I look back on it now and I think about it, it was so applicable to where we live. In fact, we were going through some things at North Star internally and some structure that I was able to pick Jenny's brain and really, really get better from the conversation. I think that's half the battle, isn't it? That we're always in the process of getting better. Well, thank you so much for joining me again today on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. I don't know where you're tuning in from, where you're watching from or listening from, but it means the world to have you. So I pray that you go be the leader that you were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put you. And we've got so many great episodes coming up. Pastor Joby Martin is going to join me again on the next episode, and we're going to talk about his newest book on the mir- the nine miracles of Jesus, and it is a riveting conversation because Pastor Joby just brings it every time, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share this, man, with a friend. Um, leave a rating and review. Leave a comment on YouTube, and we'll love to see you again next time. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.